0: Hey folks, thanks for listening to Fellows on the Fly. The interview you'll be hearing today is with Eric Ortega. I'm choosing to air this episode because Eric was one of our keynote speakers at All Fellows Gathering on our talk around mass incarceration. The conversation was really powerful, but our time was short and we only managed to scratch the very surface of this catastrophic reality. It's with our hope that hearing this interview will provide a glimpse of our discourse and prompt you to learn more about how you can play a part in future conversations with fellows around improving statewide issues and building a better North Carolina. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Actually, this is my first podcast. Ever? Ever. That's exciting. It is exciting.
0: Look at that. What's up, brady fellows? This is Rachel, and this is our third podcast, and we're here with Eric Ortega. Want to say hi. Hi. And you want to tell people what you do?
1: Sure. I am the program director for the LifeWorks program of the Center for Community Transitions.
0: And you're from the class of
1: LA. 2008. 2010.
0: You still stay connected with people from your class?
1: Sure. Through Facebook, social media has been great because uh, we were so many, we we're so spaced out within you know, within the boundaries of North Carolina, that we still stay connected through Facebook. Pictures and um, birthdays and events and so forth.
0: Do you guys get together?
1: No, actually, that's one of the, the disappointments I've had is that we haven't been able to get together. I got together somewhat with the people from Charlotte, but not as much as we would like.
0: And you're... Tiffany Callum's mentor, are you yes, that? yeah, from yes. The current class. So that's kind of cool because you guys work in tandem with each other almost. Yeah. How's that going? It's
1: going great. Going yeah. great. She um she reached out to me about reentry, and I love what I do for a living, and mm-hmm. she's very passionate, she's so about, passionate it. about it. Passionate, yes, yes, yes. So we've been um I, she came to visit me. I came, I went to visit her. So we're we're working great. Great, that's so cool. Do you want to talk
0: about your fellowship experience a little bit?
1: Sure. Uh, I, well, I was nominated by someone who um, was a grant writer for the Center for Community Transitions, and at first I was like, "Well, sure, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look into this." and And I remember going to the interview and it seemed prestigious. And I remember our first getaway to um, Wild Acres. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know what? I don't want to go there again because that little mountain hill. Oh, I know. No, I'm not big on 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 roads that don't have both you know sides to them, but. I remember going and, and meeting the people that were there, and I was like, "Man, this is a little hippie-ish." Well, that's okay because I'm a northerner, and mm-hmm. you know, my that's parents good. were hippie-ish to us. So, uh, but I was I was pleasantly surprised with the experience in regards to the connection that we made with each other, mm-hmm. the challenges that we faced, the conversations that led me to to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it challenged my values and my beliefs, and I love to be challenged that way, because I believe that the more we're challenged, the more we learn.
0: So I had lunch yesterday with someone from the current class, and we were talking about how every class has their issue, and this current class, like, what's going on in current events it kind of sets a tone for the way that the class interacts. Did you have... Was there something like that? Um, the economy?
1: I mean, that's the only I think. Thing I the economy hear. was a big a conversation. I think gay and lesbian rights was a big conversation, mm-hmm. I think, centered on that. We... Uh, we didn't talk. There was. I think I was the only one who was looking at reentry. Mm-hmm. There was more conversation about the economy, and, and of course, race is always a hot topic, but I think it was more about privilege and, and oppression. Yeah. And anyway, so that was,
0: when you talk about reentry, how do you operate in a field that's just really mm-hmm. very much against?
1: <laughs> educate. The norm? Educate. There's a misconception about what somebody. Coming out of prison looks like and acts like, and so yeah. So we we want to break those those uh, misconceptions and, and those images that somebody coming out of prison is just hopeless or um, not worth our time. It's it's challenging, but I, I, I again I think it's a challenge. It's a welcome challenge because when you tell someone about an individual coming home from prison, you give them the opportunity to shift their thinking about society's. Um, What society has seen as uh, somebody who has committed a crime, you know, from from shows like Oz, Prison Break, and, you know, Special Victims Union, and all these other shows that that paint a picture of individuals who are just heinous. um, But you get to educate individuals about the other side of it. Right. About individuals who are coming home and want to make a change in it.
0: Yeah, I think in terms of like negotiating differences and the structures that we've grown up around, and then you're exposed to this new world and, and the injustice around it.
1: Well, uh, yeah, that's the other part of it. Is, um, many people see the, the inhumane way that people are treated while they're incarcerated. And, and, and the biggest thing about that is that we expect, since we expect people in prison to get released and, and to adjust immediately. Whereas to there's there's a concept for veterans, and I'm not I'm not I'm not categorizing veterans and people in prison as the same, but people veterans come home and many of them suffer from PTSD. Well, people in prison have the same challenges of trauma, and they are expected to adjust to to back into society, with, you know, in a snap, and that's right. not reality. Mm-hmm. there's an adjustment period, and and many people who go to prison were suffering from trauma before they went to prison. So we've added trauma upon trauma upon mm-hmm. trauma, and we expect individuals to be able to cope without the resources necessary to deal with that.
0: And then they're put on a bus when they're sent. I mean, when they're done, mm-hmm. and they're given how much money?
1: Well, it used to be forty dollars. You know, it really depends on if they saved any. Some people will get released without anything, uh, and they said, "Here." So you know. Everyone in prison is supposed to leave with a, a release plan, like a home. There are many individuals who don't. Um, they're they're let go and they said, okay, figure it out. Go to the shelter." The shelter in Charlotte, specifically, doesn't always take people straight out of prison. You have to establish residency to mm-hmm. be able to to get into the shelter. Uh, and so they are faced with homelessness. And you know, in the summertime, that may be okay because they can get some tents and they sleep outside, but. When it's cold outside, that's the, you know. So there's a big issue about homelessness that goes along with that. That, mm-hmm. a, as a society, especially in North Carolina, we have to be aware of it now. So
0: how many of the people that you work with are younger? That school to prison pipeline phrase is oh, repeating man. itself.
1: It, they're young. They're starting young. I mean, North Carolina and New York, my, my other my two states, right? I, I'm a <laughs> New Yorker and I live in North Carolina. Are two states that um, that still. Can try someone as an adult at the age of 16. 16, you can't vote, you can't buy beer, you can't buy cigarettes, um, you can't join the military, but you could be tried as an adult for a crime. In, in all aspects of society, we say a 16 year old doesn't have the mental capacity to understand all their decisions, but yet we want to try them as adults and hold them accountable and have something on their record for the rest of their life. It's, it's um, collateral consequences. Where they're paying for this for the rest of their lives. Well, that's the part of this that that's crazy. So you have a 16 year old, 17 year old who makes a bad choice. Um, not that the choice should be, be forgiven without consequences, but you now you've put this 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 load on their shoulders that says for the rest of your life you're going to have to tell someone that you have a criminal record, and that follows them in employment, housing, education, every aspect of of, of change. That someone can do this is going to this is going to be a barrier for them forever. Yeah. So so yeah, the, the age range is is dramatically low. It's, you're looking at you know 16, 17 year olds, 18 year olds coming home, spending two or three years in prison, coming home in their 20s, mm-hmm. not really an adult yet because they their their development is is stunted because of incarceration. So even though they're may they may be in their 20s developmentally, they're still in their teenage. And yet society says, go get a job, go get a place to live, or go, try, get, go get a job, but we're going to tell you that it's going to be hard, because employers are going to look at you and say, where are your employability skills, and you just came out of prison. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Also, framing the argument from another perspective, it's also really expensive.
1: It costs more to incarcerate someone than yeah. to send someone to
0: So recidivism is, isn't it like 20, it saves a ton of money to keep them out and to help them prosper. I think think $20,000. No, actually
1: it's more. Now it's around 30 something. It's crazy. Incarcerate someone. Wow. And and it's, well, here's, here's, here's the other part of it. It's the prison industrial complex, right? Mm -hmm. You have individuals who work. And I know in New York, there was a company called Corecraft, and they made, they made furniture and soap. And what they were paying individuals, we would categorize that as sweatshops. That's actually illegal. But in prison, if you're in prison, you could make, you know, a dollar a day. Well, you know, you're working in factories making, you know, mass product. And yet, again, in society, we would call that a sweatshop. We would call that that's illegal. We would close it down. But in prison, it's okay. So, and you pay them nothing. And when they get released, they leave with nothing. Because they still have to, they still have to buy their own stuff, and then they have restitution. So they leave with nothing, but you've, you've earned the prison system has earned money, and those companies have earned money off the backs of those incarcerated. Uh, talk about, talk about another form of slavery. And
0: I was just gonna say after, after slavery was abolished, and I'm quoting mm-hmm. it the only way that a person could be legally enslaved in the United States was through imprisonment. And that's how Archman Farm got created. And, and it doesn't seem like we're that far from that.
1: No, <laughs> no. We have not progressed. You would think that in this century we would be further along in, 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 in how we treat people. But no, we're actually, sometimes it feels like we're going backwards.
0: That brings me to my next question. Do you use principles from the fellowship regularly in your daily, like in your work? Oh, every day. Every day.
1: Intentionality, inclusion. I mean, if i if I say one thing I, the, the, the fellowship has shown me how to be a, the, the leader I want to be um in regards to being intentional and inclusion and integrity the the core the core fundamentals of the fellowship um, I apply to my everyday and i I try to instill that in the staff that I supervise because it's so important it, you know, I hire leaders i don't hire um, staff I hire leaders I hire leaders who go against Moving sidewalk. I go go against me. I mean, I I hire people who challenge me, and I got that that fundamental value from the fellowship is that we we should not just take what people tell us as face value. We should challenge it um, with what I call assertiveness and, and openness, but just to take information as face value is not being a leader. So for me, I think that's what one of the things I've learned from.
0: And I also think it's just it's like you're being thrown into a family of different walks of life.
1: Oh, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. you have to work through everything. And that's the thing. I, yeah, I, I always, I always, uh, I have, we all have our chips, on, chips on our shoulders, right? <laughs> and I say, well, people don't know my story. My story is this, and my story is, my story is the only story. <laughs> and and be to be able to sit around a room and hear everyone one of those stories, see similarities, and see some more challenges that they face, and be able to say, well. You know, one of the things I remember the most of is understanding we all have privileges, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm Hispanic, but I'm also a light Hispanic, so I have some privileges there that mm-hmm. a darker Hispanic doesn't have. I'm also heterosexual, mm-hmm. where someone who's gay may not have the same privileges. So even though I have some, there's some, some, some recognized oppression and some hidden oppressions, I also have some privileges that I have to be aware of. Um, I speak English fluently, where... My mother's a, you know, I'm a second generation. My mother was born and raised in Colombia. She's She migrated here. Now she's a U.S. citizen, but her English is not that great. And so I, I speak English fluently and Spanish, and that's a privilege. So I, the fellowship showed me that. That, it, that even though I can say that, man, I'm oppressed because I have a record or I'm Hispanic or this and that, I also have some privileges that other populations don't. Mm-hmm. And it's my responsibility as a leader to acknowledge that.
0: Are you working on anything right now with reentry? Are there any special projects? I mean, this whole thing seems like a special project, so this is kind (laughs) of a crazy question. But are there any like specific? Are you working with certain organizations? Oh yeah,
1: there is, there is. Well, you know, this agency has been here for forty years, but I'm also um, the chairperson for something called Reentry Partners of Mecklenburg, and that's a collaboration within between probably forty agencies, nonprofit, governmental, and for profit. That we come together every month to look at reentry, to look at what can we do as a, as a community to better prepare our individuals coming home from prison or jail, but also educate the community on what it means to accept these individuals. One of our, our recent events is we hosted a job fair, a career expo, actually, for only people with criminal records. Now, you'll hear me say people with criminal records because um, I find it offensive to use the phrase ex-offender or ex-convict. Yeah, I'm big on language, mm-hmm. on words, right. and uh, you know, society, we like to call people leave in prison ex-offenders, but that's not the language we use with people we even love. I come okay. from a big family, and you, come from, you have a sister. <laughs> so as, as i give you an example of one of the things that I like to educate people on. So has anybody in your family ever offended you? All the time. Yeah, of course. All the time. Do you forgive them? Yeah. Do you call them ex-offenders? No. Right? Yeah. So we don't call the people that we care about or the people in society... Um, Ex-offenders, if they've offended us in some way, if they apologize, we forgive them and we Mm -hmm. call them individuals. But it seems for the people leaving prison system, we want to categorize them and use these negative intonations like ex-convict or ex-offender, and it's just people. So so language is one of them. So one of the things that we did was we had a job fair for only people with criminal records. We had 22 employers show up.
0: 150
1: individuals participated. We're actually gathering the numbers of how many people found jobs. So this council, we meet every month, and we're actually going to have a retreat soon about looking at strategically what do we want to focus on in the next coming year. One of the things that we were able to accomplish in Charlotte was Ban the Box. And Ban the Box is a movement that's going around North Carolina Mm -hmm. and other states as well. started in San Francisco. And with the Reactive Partners of Mecklenburg and the Charlotte School of Law and some of our other partners, we were able to have the city Ban the Box. It's really great. It is. It is. The city said... We met with the city, and I never forget the guy's name, um, the city manager. Oh, what's the city manager's name? We'll have to come back and add it. Um, <laughs> The city manager met with us right before Thanksgiving and said, this is an issue. We want people to have second chance, so we're going to ban the box. And that's something that's big. Because they're saying, we're not going to ask the question on the application. We're going to wait till we meet with the person mm-hmm. and then find out if, if their background disqualifies them for a specific jobs. Mm-hmm. Which is what we want. We're not saying, hey, look, take somebody who has a history of drug abuse and put them as a CVS pharmacist. Mm -hmm. No, we know that there's a correlation between Mm -hmm. what they've done in the past and and some potential hazards with employment. But we're saying, give the person the opportunity to show that they're different. Don't base your judgment on what they've done in the past but who they are today. Band Box has done that. So we've been able to accomplish that on career fairs. So we're looking at different strategies of community education, and resource fairs to really allow our community to accept individuals.
0: All of Charlotte or just the city?
1: Just the city right just now. A city. Just okay. the city. We're moving forward, mm-hmm. but we know that Target has banned the box. Walmart has banned the box. Okay. Um, and it's catching steam. We're hoping that the city now becomes our champion and says, hey, who else can ban the box? Let's all get together and ban the box. It takes time.
0: It is. It's hard to convince people that we're all so much bigger than the worst thing that we've ever done.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good way that's to put a it. Really
0: important thing, and we all have
1: biases. We are, see, they, they, we all have biases, and that's another thing I learned from the fellowship. We all have our biases. Mm-hmm. I was one. Of, I don't have any biases. Yeah, <laughs> see, I was not me, not Eric, but we all do. So acknowledge that and yeah. put it out there, naming it, naming it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it reminded <laughs> me of our of our sessions at the fellowship. I'd say they used to get heated. They used to get heated, and I have to say. and But the challenges that we faced together was was actually, it created a bond. And I think that's, if I take one thing, is the bond that we created. So, yeah, we may not get together as much as we used to, but we know that the bond is still there. Now, I wish we had more. I'm actually interested in, I would love for us to be able to meet and have more deeper conversations that way and continue Mm -hmm. that process. And you're going to go to All Fellows? I haven't, I have not been to one yet.
0: Mm -hmm. I know I'm
1: guilty of of (laughs) not going um, part of it is because it's in that mountain, and it's like, look, I, <laughs> you think I'm joking? I went up there, God, I don't remember. I went up there with a pastor, and I was like, I'm glad I'm with a pastor because, look, I don't do. Look, I'm, I'm a city kid. I like the roads <laughs> those where this, mountains. I look down and it's just a drop.
0: No, I he can read your last rites as you're just plummeting down. <laughs> I said, down
1: to your desk. I said we're, we're a little extra protected because I have a pastor <laughs> over here. But I think uh, doing this, mm-hmm. and, and now that Tiffany reached out to me, and we're working some reaching out to other fellows and being engaged. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Okay. If you had to complete this sentence, if not for the Friday Fellowship, I blank,
1: what would you say? If not for the Friday Fellowship, I would be as strong leader as I am today mm-hmm. and have the courage to share my story with, with others.
0: Was that hard for you before you went into the Fellowship?
1: It was. It was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had an inner circle of people who knew my background. And recently... Uh, I was asked to do a, a story, and that came on the Charlotte Observer.
0: Oh, I saw that. I read that.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was. It was. It was a little shocking mm-hmm. because I didn't know it was coming out on the front page of the paper. Yeah, It was big. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> there was a video and everything. Yeah. yeah. I
1: know. I know. <laughs> you know. So when they came to me and said, "Well, we want to do a story on you," usually mm-hmm. when they want to do a story, they want to do a story on the agency, mm-hmm. and I'm just a figurehead that, that, that teaches classes. and but when Pamela came to me and said, "Hey, we want to do a story on you," I was like, "Sure." Mm-hmm. It's going to come on the paper. Well, it'll come on the lifestyle, you know, a little section. No, this came on the front page of the Sunday paper. Uh, so that was challenging because there were people in my in, in my life who did not know that past me. But the the amazing thing is, so so without the fellowship, I think I would have been a little more hesitant of doing it, of putting myself out there. That's, if if anything, it's that, it's that I wouldn't have been able to put myself out there and be vulnerable in regards to having people dissect my life in that kind of, you know, in that kind of arena.
0: Mina and I talk about the ripple effect of the fellowship a lot because you seem like you're such an alliance to this community of people and you're a resource to them. And I imagine it's easier for them to have conversations with you. Do they know what what you've been through? You open about that. I am,
1: yeah, I actually. It's really powerful. So here's what I do: I don't tell them the first day. There's a specific class where I share my story and some of the struggles I had with allowing my record to stop me from accomplishing goals and the mm-hmm. people I needed in my life. Um, and I tell them about the news article. I tell them that when they first when I was first approached with it, I there was a little hesitancy. Mm-hmm. I was like, Well, I may you know, who's going to hear this? Um, but again, I had to face that challenge. I had to move against the, you know, go against the moving sidewalk, or lean into this comfort and uh, and say, okay. So I tell them about that. I tell them about how fear can become overwhelming and could become your barrier mm-hmm. to moving forward, and how you have to overcome that fear. But that's our belief. Our belief is that if we could if we could shift our thinking and look at our thinking process and looking at what we can control and what, who we are, mm-hmm.
0: then you're going to move forward in the right way. Right sounds like some fellowship
1: work right there honestly i was uh i wasn't sure if i was going to be accepted mm. uh you know i knew i came with a diverse background uh, but when it came to that part i was like well you know i've been denied things because of my record uh so is this one of the one of the things that's going to come up and say well this is a barrier because you have a criminal record and no it was accepting and being able to share that in a group of, of, of strangers at first and say, yeah, this is my story. And here, everybody else's story was free.
0: It, I mean, your perspective was probably really awesome to have in that class.
1: I hope so. It's really valuable.
0: <laughs> you do really great work. It's Good. You're a brave person. <laughs> <laughs> so that was basically the gist of our interview that day in Charlotte. But I didn't want to leave Eric without asking him some novelty questions.
1: What books are you currently reading? What books I'm currently reading? Actually, um, <laughs> I am actually rereading uh, Neil Donald Walsh Conversations with God.
0: Ah. Yeah.
1: Mm. I'm rereading that. Mm. I've read all four or five of them. I'm rereading that. Um, the next book I'm reading is The Languages of Love. Mm. Have oh, you ever heard that one? No. Oh, that was good. It's about okay. relationships and people understanding how people want to be loved. We automatically assume that love is is, is one way. People have specific ways they want to be loved. Just and if we don't understand how people want to be loved, then we might be giving them the wrong <laughs> kind of love. Ah. So it's relationship building. So I'm reading that. Yeah. Uh, the Four Agreements. That's always. Yeah. I, I, have, I have my hand in a couple of reading things.
0: Friday Fellows love The Four Agreements. Every time I go to an office, it's always on the wall or the book is right there. Because it's just, it's really a good book. It's a good book. So if you're not reading that, you need to read The Four Agreements. Four Agreements. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite place in North Carolina? Yeah.
1: I'm a Char- I'm a Charlottean.
0: Because the city's really intense, man. I just have to tell you, driving around this place is like I love Charlotte. Grand Theft Auto. I yeah, feel like I, I'm like I know, I
1: know, I know, I because everybody wants to be NASCAR. But I that, no, I love Charlotte. I'm, I'm you know, the interesting thing was someone asked me, Eric, would you go back to New York? No. I, I go to visit, but I'm i I'm a North Carolinian now.
0: You're converted. I'm converted. I fish yeah. and everything. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, dead or alive. What would it be?
1: Mm, You know, Michael the King. I think his values and his approach is something I I admire.
0: Yeah, I appreciate getting older and then seeing him as a human because he was always just regarded as... He is a significant figure, but seeing his human side and and his faults make it a little bit easier to operate in the world as a leader yourself.
1: Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And that's what I appreciate is that we we sometimes as leaders we think we, we have to be perfect that we we can't make mistakes yeah. and, and I uh, I believe that I relish in my mistakes mm-hmm. I relish when I fall short I never fail because mm-hmm. if I'm moving forward I'm not a, I'm not failing I mm-hmm. fall short but I, I appreciate them in fact I welcome them because that's what makes us stronger so I, I love to see the human side of him you know he had some faults. Yeah.
0: And uh, is there any song that you've heard more than any other? Is there a song that just resonates with you? It's the song of your life, like.
1: Ah, yeah, it actually is. I actually put it on. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, you had some good questions. Depending, well, yeah, it depends on my mood, <laughs> yeah, and it depends on what what the meaning is for me, right? Mm-hmm. If it's if it's relationship, I have a song. Uh, I am. I am. I am. a am a. I am a feeling person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say that one song that I listen to when I work out, and always it's um it's it's by Mayno, it's called All the Above, and and that song resonates to me. I actually put it on Facebook because there's a section that he talks about um about prison, facing discharge. Yeah, so, yeah, that's definitely the song that I listen to. I'm like, yeah,
0: this is a good song. It's my song. Yeah. it's my
1: anthem.
0: It's fairly new though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty new. What about it's when you were new. younger? oh well, see, I grew up I grew up Wu Tang, cash in the around, cream yeah I, Wu-Tang I, but then I, I love my R&B I love my yes. see people don't know Silk and Jagged Edge and...
0: Maxwell was here last year too
1: yeah see, so I'm a big R&B fan but I'm I'm a music fan so I, I, I won't say this you might have to cut this out <laughs> but I, I actually like some country music oh. I listen to a little everything mm-hmm. see I like <laughs> I, I do like Georgia Florida line. I have to say, I do. I don't even know who they are, I'm sorry. I do, I do like some country music. Okay. Look, call me, call me, getting deep rooted in the South. With
0: you can't just. some people just turn off country music and they really forget about that you're country oh. and it's like, no.
1: I could hear, see I listen to every kind of music. I, I used to even listen to opera. I used to be a bar back. I used oh. to be the kid with a white vest on, with brownies in the hand, asking if you want a brownie, a sandwich, cappuccino, expert song. Yeah, I have, <laughs> let me tell you, my, my story is pretty, uh. My journey, not my story, my journey in life is pretty interesting.
0: All right. Well, that's all I have for you. All right. Thanks well, thank for you. being here. Well, thank you for having me.